superior sound it's it's much cleaner but now everybody's saying it's uh, a lot warmer uh, the sound you get from vinyl yeah. and i have to agree it's uh, it's a different different sound i mean graham loves his vinyl he's probably got more vinyl than any of us i mean what's it about the vinyl that you have graham that makes it work for you it's a you, feeling you know? on your skin i think isn't it uh, graham yeah, yeah you have the biggest collection of vinyl it's um it is a bit of a feeling um the fact that you more can than, more than a feeling. No, I won't get that far. But um, <laughs> you open it up. You, like, you you pull the vinyl out. There's the sleeve, the insert. There's information there on on the record. Um, the CDs just don't have. But I will say, CDs are actually a cleaner way to listen to music. Um, there's less chance of it stuffing up. I'm not just going to say vinyl's better because I grew up with vinyl. And um, you're reading the sleeves. There's so much information in there. As you're listening to the songs, you can also be reading the inside sleeve about the band, um, whatever they want to throw in there. And Dire Straits were pretty synonymous for um, some of their albums, their covers. I think Al- the Alchemy cover. That's uh, some, that's some you know beautiful album covers, isn't they? Yeah, Brett Whiteley. The See Alchemy how I bring album. it back to Dire Straits? Just, mm. yeah. Well, your comment about vinyl and then you pull it out, I thought just immediately change this podcast rating to an R. Particularly when you look at our back catalogue, we've got an episode called Graham's Vinyl Underpants. That's right. Okay, there's maybe another disclaimer coming. Yeah, anyway. Are we going to see the covers on this audio medium? Would you like to talk about the Alchemy um, cover? Yeah, maybe you should hold it up for our listener. Hold it up for our listener. It's a Brett Whiteley painting. It's, I don't even know how to describe it, but... It's very abstract. I mean, yes, you see guitar, it's it's like everywhere. I, I wouldn't There's a lot going on, isn't my there? My favourite Brett Whiteley, but, geez, it makes the album stand out and it's very synonymous. You go, bang, that's alchemy. That's what an album cover should do. That's where your first impression should be, where you go, wow, look at the cover, and it's ticked that box well and truly. For our listener at home, yeah. Graham's actually holding up the centerfold now of the um, the album cover. It yeah. opens up into a a very large image of the band on stage in, in kind of like a cartoon type arrangement with the yeah. with the the crowd behind it. It's very effective. That's the crowd from the Hammersmith Odeon, where it was. I was about to ask you, if it was Hammersmith Odeon? Yeah, it was. Uh, um, that's just a crackerjack album that. Uh, for a Die Straits album, it also finishes off with a Mark uh, Knopfler's solo song, Going Home. Oh, it yeah, does. love it. Love that song. Yeah. From the so film Local Hero. Local Hero, yes. What a, what a crackerjack film that was. Funnily yeah. enough, I think I've got the vinyl copy of it here somewhere. All right. There we go. Local Hero. So Graham's holding up uh, more vinyl. And this and one's like there's, local hero. There's the CD. And there's the there's the uh, movie or local hero. And this particular vinyl is got a yellow cover. If you just need to visualise that. And uh, you know we don't plug other things, but watching the movie Local Hero, 
it's a quaint film. I think it's a lovely film. As Molly Meldrum would say, go do yourself a favour. The band in the movie, I think they're called the Acetones, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if our younger listeners yeah. don't know who Molly Meldrum is, um, ask your grandparents. Yeah. I'll try to and, ask um, your parents first so they don't feel that old. <laughs> I think on, on the soundtrack of Local Hero, um, the only the other guy, I know um, Alan Clark plays the, uh, mm-hmm. the keyboards through the movie. And again, a bloke who became a permanent member of Die Straits. Absolutely. But not part of the original lineup. So no, because they didn't, they didn't really have, they didn't have keyboards on the first No, um, no, no. They no, were just albums. a, a guitar band. Yeah, very much a guitar band early on, weren't they? Um, yeah. yeah. So it was around, I think, era. I think, 82 when uh, Knopfler started, or uh, Mark Knopfler started to describe the band as a rock and roll orchestra in live performances. Yeah. Oh, I'd go with that yeah. 100%. Yeah, it was spot on. Absolutely spot on. So the challenge I want to put to you, gentlemen, and uh, for those young viewers, gentlemen is an old-fashioned term that we use to describe our, our peers, and it's meant to show a bit of fake politeness there. But, um, Graham, we'll start off with you. The challenge is, without naming Sultans of Swing, Try to name two or three tracks that you think are the top shelf, which you think are the the better Dire Straits songs and why. So these are your favourite best Dire Straits songs. Your favourites and why, yeah. Yeah. My favourite Dire Straits um, track is Telegraph Road. For reasons, obviously, the the words of the song are awesome. I love them. I can never get sick of them. Um, They're still relevant now. And the music and the guitar solos. Especially mm-hmm. at the end, just phenomenal. The fact that it goes for 14 up. minutes, 28 seconds, mm-hmm. it's a pretty long track. It um, is, it's an amazing track. But you, you sit there, like for me, I sit in the garage and I, it's dark at night and I put that on and just lie back on my couch and listen to that. And yeah. Can't get enough. Um, and never, um, well, I'll never get sick of it, obviously. Graham, I'm 100% with you. Telegraph Road, that is one of their classics. No yeah, debates no. there from me, that's for sure. Number two of the same album is It Never Rains, um, one of their probably lesser-known tracks. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the last song on the album, uh, a whopping short, nearly eight minutes. It's Seems fantastic. Really compromised in fantastic that. words. If you, if you get a chance to listen to it, listen to the words, try and figure out what they're talking about. It's not that hard. But um, it's, it's quite quite deep and the guitar at the end is just blows me away um third song which is hard and mm-hmm. i think it's one said that you'd like um would be wild west end just yeah. love it just can't get enough of it whatever version they ever made of it absolutely adore it nice picks uh Brian. Yeah, you can sit back and actually hear some of those songs in your mind and just play them. They are super good choices. Yeah, you'll know that I didn't pick Calling Elvis at all. <laughs> I don't think anyone, <laughs> don't think anyone did. We'll go, to, we'll, go, we'll go to what people might call their duds a bit later on. Eddie, same challenge, and the challenge is not to mention Sultans of Swing. I think it's a brilliant track. Yeah. Two or three of the tracks that you like and why. Uh, look, favourite track of all time would have to be uh, Industrial Disease, um, mainly for the reasons that um, Graham mentioned before. It's very quirky. 
And I just, I love the, the swing feel it has when the chorus comes up. I love the bit where there's just drums and he's, he's just doing that whole spiel. And um, mm-hmm. Dr. Parkinson declared, I'm not surprised to see you here. That whole spiel is just amazing. It's so well done. And it's just uh, uh, really speaks to the time it was written too, where there was a lot of industrial action happening and uh, a lot of those companies were, were like almost... Raping the planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, industrial disease, probably number one. Uh, number two, Romeo and Juliet, based mainly on the fact that when I saw it live, um, there was just this spotlight shining down on the on the his national guitar, his steel guitar. Banjo-like guitar. It looked yeah. like a banjo, yeah, but they're, they're made by a company yeah. called National, and they're, they're very mm-hmm. sought-after um, yeah. instruments, they're very, very rare. And just to see him finger-picking, because that's the way he played. He doesn't use a pick like you, you generally yeah, think of most guitarists. He uses his, his two fingers rest on the bridge of the guitar, and he uses three fingers and picks. Um, yeah, I know. That's I just demonstrated that for the listener guitar. there too. So The whole feel of it, you've got to remind listener yourself, he does that. not use a yeah. plectrum or a pick at all. Yeah, at all. He's totally a finger picker, yeah. which is it, it's Eddie, just Eddie, an incredible can I ask amount you? of skill. Yeah. Have you, have you seen the film clip that they released when they, they brought the single out? Yeah, yeah, I have. How good is it? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. To, to the listener out there, Google, um, YouTube, the song, you'll find it, and and have a check check out the 1982 thereish about um, video clip. It's different. Mm. Have we overlooked? Have we not given you a third choice there? Ed? No, no. Third choice, uh, bit of a toss up. I would probably say the title track from the Brothers in Arms album brothers in arms <laughs> it's um yeah it's a pretty deep song and, and I, I love a ballad love a ballad and um yeah he's just that uh, sort of demonstrates how good Nofla was as not only a, a musician but as a a songwriter and a lyricist um yeah amazing song if I was given the same challenge, ironically, uh, one of the songs I would have chosen is that last one that you've talked about, the actual song Brothers in Arms. Yeah. Uh, doing a little bit of background reading, and you've got to remember the timing of when the album was created, uh, that there were two things that really inspired him about the song. One is in 82 there was a Falklands War, so we're talking about... Uh, British troops fighting in uh, the Falklands just outside of Argentina, not trying to be drawn into the political names there. But what he was concerned about is, like, yes, people come back and they're fought and they're they're marked for life, even in a short battle like that one, which I think was only, like, about two months long. And then the other aspect is there's a conversation that he had with his father and this part, I don't know if he was a World War II vet or not. I'm not, I'm not sure about that detail. But the whole thing is like it's a conversation against two foes on a battlefield. And I think that's where the poignancy of the song comes across. And I think it is just done brilliantly. If I was to choose number two, I would choose Tunnel of Love. Not because it's got that interesting carousel part, which I do love at the start, 
I think one is it's a love song that is so incredibly innocent where you're just talking about you're loving that feeling of just being engrossed with somebody else and it's it's like a meeting of minds or a meeting of souls and it it's an interesting love song that's like it there's not something like carnal or sexual about it it's just like we've bonded we've connected and what Nofla could do so well is sometimes convey the emotion so if you want to get an idea of what I'm talking about that same concert that you were talking about Eddie in Sydney in 86 you listen to the last five minutes where it's that guitar solo and it's just it's just conveying that emotion of that that old-fashioned feeling of love which i think is just really great and i think the songs really nailed it well so yeah ton of love was that was great it was awesome live too because they actually started with that whole that whole uh, carousel uh, mm. thing it was yeah, it was amazing um i mentioned that yeah, it was a toss-up i mean the other song i would have put in was espresso love Mm-hmm. familiar with that one mm-hmm. mm. oh yeah because it's been kind of mentioned and like i'm in two minds about this one we're going to stick with an old favorite not particularly because of its lyrics even though it's got an interesting play with words i just love the groove of it and i'm talking about once upon a time in the west and i think it's really hard not to just just get attracted to the groove and some interesting thing that the drums are doing during that uh, to create a little bit of different pace at times. You've got to listen to it. It's very, very subtle. And I think it's just one of those great tracks where they just get into a groove and let it happen. Um, there's even like a clip on YouTube where they're actually putting it to the old, I think, 50s or 60s movie, Once Upon a Time in the West, to the Die Straight song. And it wasn't designed to work that way, but somehow it works terrifically well. They were really bluesy, folksy back then, weren't they, in a way? Mm-hmm. Like, before they hit the big time rock and roll, you know, Brothers and Arms, deep roots in, in, in blues and, and folk. I think blues folk really does summarise them quite well, even where Brothers and Arms are sometimes called like their first kind of commercial album, which is probably unfair with the exception of the, you know, money for nothing type song. But I think... You know, when we're talking about classic songs and reasons why, the band kind of semi-broke up after their big tour, went went very quiet. And then in the early 90s, they put out one more studio album, uh, did one big tour, not to the same degree as the other tour. And I think a lot of people feel like that last album of theirs was like a letdown in comparison to all their back catalogue in the past, and it's just not at the same level of depth musically, lyrically. It's not ticking all the boxes that we associated with Dyer's Trades. Are you saying uh, Calling yes. Elvis was total dog shit? I'm just saying it wasn't at the same level. It was just a letdown. That's what I'm saying, what some of the criticisms are. So I was going to put it to you, since Eddie, you've come in. Uh, how do you feel about that last couple of years of their career? Was it... Was it like a letdown? Was it still all right? I mean, how do you feel about it? I think that last album they did, there are a couple of tracks on there that were okay, but um, Mm -hmm. I think all in all, it it was just uh, dog shit. Mm -hmm. Compared to some of the earlier stuff, I mean, you look at at Alchemy. I mean, fair dinkum. That was just, that's almost perfection, that album. 
I don't know if they were burnt out or cashing in in their fame. I wasn't too sure. It's just they lost their kind of mission of the music that they normally do and put out in the lyrics. It just the way it came across to me was what was them. Yeah, I think they were under contract to release a certain Mm -hmm. amount of albums in a certain amount of time, and this was just a contractual obligation. They they'd for all intents and purposes broken up already. But I think they were yeah. just fulfilling the contract to, to complete that last album because it really was thrown together, I think. It's just, man, calling Elvis. Ouch. Yeah, a, couple, a couple of memorable things about the On Every Street album. Yep. Okay, the, the calling Elvis video was pretty good with the Thunderbirds. Granted. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, especially at the end when they all start smashing into the girls' flat. Mm-hmm. Um Pretty well done. But um, also, I think they had Randy Quaid in one of the videos, Heavy Fuel. I don't know if he, he sort of acts um, as a roadie. That's Randy Quaid, is it? Yeah. I know the Randy. film clip. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, kids, if you don't know who Randy Quaid is, um, ask your grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's another song on the album called The Bug, which I didn't mind. Fade to Black was pretty good. You and Your Friends, actually, quite a good track. I'm not sure, Eddie, if you were saying they were contracted, maybe they were, but I think Nofla was just getting into this American sort of country-type feel. Oh, no, I don't know and, that for a fact. I just said it just it, it seems yeah. to me they may have been under contract to complete a certain amount of albums. And yeah, he, he just seemed to be much American, broken up by American them. sort of country and West. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, and I think after Dice Trace did break up, he, he started doing albums with Chad Atkins. Mm, sort of followed that true. sort of vein. He did. Um, and he actually took co- him co- away. collaborated with quite a few. There's a lot of good guitar on on every street. The old whiny sort of um, Mark Knopfler, the way he stretches the, the strings and runs around the frets. But there wasn't the the same, and I thought, that were in their earlier albums, um, especially one through four. I've got to be honest, I don't really know the album that well. Uh, maybe we should go back and have another listen to it. Um, yeah, yeah, but try most Straits albums, you give it one listen to, and what's your next compulsion? I've got to listen to it again. Mm. It just didn't have that feel to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that was the only one I didn't buy. To be honest, same. It's the only one I haven't got on vinyl. Mm. I've got all these soundtracks, all the albums, multiple times, but I never bought that one. Yeah. Just quietly, Sid and Eddie, yeah. on every street, did go to number one in the US, Australia, and England. Oh, yeah, that's because of their reputation. I'll tell you, um, the first album went to number one in Australia. Yep. Um, Communique went to number five. Making mm-hmm. Movies only made it to number four. That's a great um, album, Making Movies. Love Over Gold went to number one. Obviously, Brothers and Arms went to number one. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, as you said, it was the first CD to crack a million sales. Um, and it's also their highest-selling album, I think, 30 million-plus units, brothers and arms. So how do we get the kiddies to appreciate Die Straits? You can't. We, we grew up in a magical era where Die Straits was big. And, yes, what we did have is when the music was new. And now it's, you know, some of us 40-plus years old, but the bottom line is it's still very good. It stood the test of time. So how do we get the kiddies to listen to it? I think the only way you get the, only... the kids into it is to um, have some rapper sample parts of their music and um, oh, God. put out Sacrosanct. some pile of shit in the name of um, of rap 
Yeah. I, I was going to say, if you can digitally alter the, the film clips to make them dancing like they're on Fortnite, um, <laughs> maybe. There's a good, there's an interesting That is thought. gold. Yeah. That's a very, very interesting thought. I'm sure it could be done. Yeah, if it's not Fortnite, it's Roblox or however that's going to work. That, that's or Five Nights at Freddy's if you're that way inclined. Yeah. It's funny, actually, my brother-in-law yeah, well, was in a band back in the day and I remember before I went to see the concert, um, I said to him, oh, I've been listening to this this new band called Dire Straits. Um, have you heard of them? And he goes, oh, yes, yeah. And he starts playing Sultans of Swing. With mm. with the band, I used to go to their rehearsals and watch them. That was kind of how I got the the taste for, for bands and and being on stage and everything. And yeah, they say they just launched into Sultans of Swing and they've been listening to it for years. And um, they had a bit of a chuckle that I'd called them this new band called Dire Straits. I mean, you're talking about a band from an era where a lot of bands went crazy with their image. They had like drug problems, you know, and all this kind of thing. Sometimes they had to run in with the police. Drug problems in bands. Got... Yeah, yeah. And um wow. but that was never a thing with Dire Straits, was it? It was still always about the music. They never seemed to be in trouble, did they? Um, um not in the same way that, that the Stones were or to... the Beatles. But I know a few band members had divorces, I was well aware of that, but we're talking about a band, no drug problems, no legal problems. No scandals. I mean, they're British, you know what I mean? And they're rubbish tabloids over there. Wow. It was all about the music. That's what makes them so unique too. Mm. You know, that concert in Sydney was probably the most fanciest I've ever seen an awful address. If you ever watched the video. Uh, yeah. Like I said, there, sometimes there's something, jeans um, a singlet. There's something very special about watching an ageing bald man trying to pull off a headband. And wristband. Yeah, yeah and wristband. Yeah. It's fluorescent wristband that, too, I might add. But it was almost like the gimmick was, apart from the headband, there was no gimmick. It was like, it was just them. Mm. It was them and their music. You know, you got to know their names and stuff like that. Um, they came across as super ordinary guys who could play and really, really good music. Sonny. Jack Sonny, was it? Or? No, that's the guitarist, Jack Sonny. Yeah. It was uh, Alan Clark I was a and Guy Fletcher. Yeah, I remember he was wearing a like pastel suit with no shoes, and he was really—he was a great dancer, and he was playing away. That's like Jack dancing. Sonny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Jack Sonny. The, yeah, and yeah, I he remember was the concert progressively through that. He went from the suit. He lost the jacket. Mm. Then he had the shirt. Then he lost yep. the shirt. And you kept on wondering, how far are you going to keep them going? But, yes, there was no shoes on. You know? well, just incidentally, that concert is um, fully available on YouTube for free, so you can actually jump on and just Google mm-hmm. 1986 Sydney Dire Straits and it'll come up. Absolutely look for Eddie in the crowd. Jack of a concert. Yeah. If you want some fashion tips, look at how Lynn's during the Alchemy concert. Yeah, good point. Yeah, the, the striped Very pants. So, quickly, we haven't spoken about... Um, the Notting Hillbillies. What yeah, was the name the of the response other... uh, to the Travelling Wilburys? In a way, yeah. I think the only other member of the band that went with them was um, Guy Fletcher, but mm-hmm. their manager through most of the years, Ed Bicknell, played drums, I think, for the Notting Hillbillies. I read the same. Wow. Mm. And he, same. he was the manager also of Jerry Rafferty and Brian Ferry. All right. Jeez. 
So I'm, yeah, I'm name dropping, but I'm allowed to do it. Very big acts at the yeah. time. Yeah. So you can imagine the web. All these people weave together, like how they cross paths, and like Mark Knopfler played a lot with um, uh, Clapton and mm-hmm. um, and others. You know, just amazing stuff. What a life! He's still playing today. Uh, you see him pop up every now and then. Yeah. He'll just come on stage when someone else is playing. Well, um, listener, I think you can start to hear where our conversation is starting to go to or degenerate to. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun reminiscing about really one of the best bands, I think, that was the late 70s up to the mid-80s and Dire Straits. So, listener, if you're new to knowing Dire Straits, I think the best thing you can do is, well, not only just hear from us and our opinions, but, you know, initially go on, like, YouTube and watch some of the clips and then do yourself a favour, like, buy the albums, probably even go to the vinyl albums because, I mean, obviously you're showing one way to show support to the band, but, oh, my God, you're going to enter into a realm of music that is absolutely top shelf. So I'd say from myself, Eddie and Graham. It's been brilliant to go down a bit of memory lane to talk about one of the better bands that's ever been in our view. So uh, I'd say, uh, you know, hopefully uh, you enjoy it. Don't forget to show your love via Patreon. And also, how do you email us if you want to speak to us? How does that uh, go again, Eddie? How do they email us? If the listener or the kids want to email us, they can drop us a mm-hmm. message at podnoname at gmail.com or they can get us on our Facebook page, um, providing, of course, the kids know what Facebook is. Um, it's a social media platform used by a lot of grandparents. Um, they can get us at pod uh, facebook.com slash podnoname or at podnoname. Um, you can always go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash name. If you feel sorry for us, for some of the episodes we've put out recently, uh, you can donate. Or otherwise, you know, it's just another way to, you know, show us, show us the love, show us that you're actually listening. One dollar will go a very long way because one dollar will at least help to pay probably about... Well, less than 1% of our uh, podcasting bill for the year. Would that be about right? Yeah, it's, it's not quite a dollar a day. It's um, yeah, probably about half that. Yeah, but, you know, every every little bit of helps there. It sure does, yeah. We're, we're, we're losing money doing this, but we love it. So uh, keep, keep listening, listener, and the kids, and uh, hopefully... Um, you'll jump on Patreon and, and chuck a bit of money our way. And you know, with us, you'll get your money for nothing and your kids for free. It's like the Australian Navy. That, that was a really good scene. Can you say that again? Well, maybe if I rephrase it back to how it should be. And just, you know, don't forget that with us, you get your money for nothing and your chicks for free. Yes, it's been said that our podcast is worth every cent you pay for it. I was going to throw a quote in there just to finish things up, and it's a quote from the great man, Mark Knopfler, and it could apply to um, this podcast in a way, but it's, um, 
Not long after he introduces Mel Collins on the saxophone just before um, Two Young Lovers and Alchemy, he then says, follow this, lads, see how we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what can I say? You know, the name Dyer Straits came out of a financial situation, but uh, aren't we better off that they were able to get that record deal? Thank Absolutely. you, Dyer Straits. Great band. Um, and Nofalo is uh, an absolute musical genius. We're, we're pretty fortunate to have um, been able to listen to some of his stuff. He'd be, the, he'd be the kind of person like a couple hundred years from now, people would be listening to his stuff and analysing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He definitely had his own style. The conservatory to... of music will be, will be playing his stuff. And still trying to figure out how he came with that guitar style. Well, it's oh, very, yeah, um, it's very unique. I, I've never seen anybody play like that before. Uh, the actual, you know, he can't, he can't read the music. No, that's no, true. It's, it's all ear to fingers. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those. The best guitarists in the world always. It's just they hear it in their head, yeah. and they, they can just put it into their hands. Mm-hmm. You've either got it, or you don't. And very few do. Most, what's your favourite dress? Anything that you're not in. Well, well, obviously I'm not in all those ones that you got the choice of behind you. But you don't have a favourite? Not really. Mm-hmm. You don't ever feel like grabbing a uh, a vacuum cleaner dress and so like a mo and thinking, right, it's uh, my Freddie Mercury. I'm going to clean up the house kind of day. I need to break free. Actually, none of them are sexy at all. Maybe David Knopfler, he's not too bad. Well, Mark Knopfler's kind of pioneered um, early hair loss. I think he also pioneered ordinary-less, if that's such a word, just being ordinary. Yeah. Uh, he, he was he was outdone by living yet John with the headband thing. Ah, yes. Yeah, that came, came in a little bit later. That, that was an unfortunate turn of events, the headband. No, maybe there's a lot of conjecture about what you should put on this coon. Yeah, maybe. Scones. Scone. Scone. Like a digger scone right now. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do like what, a scone. this during a scone. A scone or a scone? Well, it's always been scone uh, to me. I've never said scone, but I just remember that goodies episode. Mm. They're debating scone, scone. Okay, what do you call the New South Wales ta- town? Is it scone or scone? Scone. Yeah. Scone. But, yeah, it's got that title. It's scone. But if uh, if it comes out of the oven and we've been baking it, it's a scone as far as I'm concerned. No, well, they're scones. You, you never bake one. Oh, it is plural. We've also mm. now got a disclaimer that needs to be made at the start of this podcast. Oh, because of the few words that I've dropped already? Mm. But notice I'm quoting it. I'm not well, trying you, to endorse you it. You are a troublemaker, though, Sid. So, you know, you've got to... Yeah, yeah. How many we've got to cover ourselves. Yeah, how many push-ups is that for me? I'm not sure, but we can't risk offending the tens of people that listen to this show. Uh, we still introduce uh, and speak to our um, our listener as in singular, not plural. And, in fact, our statistics back that up. Yeah, I think it's probably because the majority of the people that listen to the show also participate in it. And it's not like we rope in a few friends and relatives as well. Can you think of the last time that we received an email, because it has happened, where it wasn't like um, one of us or a friend or really? 
No. It has happened. It's just been a very long time. It's been a long time, yeah. You could always yeah, pay someone to do that. They're very big in Botswana. I've read that. Penises? No, dice tracks. <laughs> well, does that go in the? Does that go right at the end of the podcast? Oh, I think it'll be in the outtakes. Yeah, to... it'll have to be in the yeah, outtakes. Yeah, I wonder where that's going to fit in. Where that's going to work. It'd be interesting to know what kind of commercial we can put uh, lay down in between here. The princess, she's always keen to get the uh, the ads happening, and um, she loves anything pre-scripted from you. So um, we'll have to uh, work on that. I love vinyl because, as I said, you, you pull it out, you're holding it. Um, don't go too far with that. Uh, I'm seeing that your screens are frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's... We're just not moving because we're listening to your words. <laughs> no, I just need to check if it's coming through for the record. I'm not comfortable. Just holding no, that up in the light. I, I thought that was something you and the wife were experimenting with. I originally thought it was a weird light shade, <clears throat> but it was so hard to work it out because you're getting a lot of light from the window. Four and a yeah, half sorry. grand. Mm, plus now I get a thousand, it. probably twelve hundred bucks worth of consultations and fittings. Holy crap! Wow. That's the but front. Actually, that's around the front. How necessary is it though? Is it doing the job? Uh, we only got it last week. Just keep stimulating the economy. You know? Yeah, right. Um, it's so people like you that are just... causing the problem. That's right. Mm. That's correct. Um, sorry, back to topic. Um, Oh, oh um, I know what you mean. Fifty Shades the one, of Grey. The movie all your wives go to watch. That's the movie that women watch, the ones, the married women always complain about have, having headaches. Yes, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. I mean, what I found is you're being proactive. It's like you say, here, I heard, here you need a Panadol. And they go, I don't need a Panadol. And you wait to see how long it takes them to work out what your agenda is. I see you've got mm. some moose there, um, Sid. Yeah, yeah, well-crafted moose. I'm not not saying it's going to work, but... Um, if Do you also vinyl, use the, um, the comeback about... when she says, I've got a headache? Do you say, it's not your head I'm interested in? <laughs> Obviously, I haven't read that chapter yet. I'm never shy to um, discuss colonoscopies and junk and so on. I've had three colonoscopies. I've enjoyed every single one of them. I've enjoyed the sleep. I really do. You wake up and, and the sandwich. Like the best yeah, sleep the you've ever had. The, the general way in which you can show little snippets of things, if it's educational mm. or it's there for critique, yeah. is exempt from those laws. Exactly. But you've got to make it clearly educational or a critique. Mm-hmm. Well, everything and on the podcast with no name is educational. Yeah. And when you think about it, too. And we, we are critiqued got to do regularly. This. Yeah. But sometimes they've got to do this because they've put up with it. Like if people actually talk about it, play a bit of a song, uh, you know, it could mean other people check it out, download it. They can get more revenue from it. So they want to be careful about what they're whinging about. Yeah. I, I think they're pretty safe with our podcast. <laughs> That's true. The captain's been a bit busy lately too, um, but yeah, she's getting back into it again. 
Yeah. Oh, whenever she's right, it'd be nice for us to have a break and see her go outside in the dark and light up a smoke again. Yeah, yeah. I miss that, um, the view up her nostril where she's sitting there. <laughs> and sometimes the only thing you'll see is just uh, the little light thing at the end of the smoke and that's mm. it, but you hear a voice. Oh, just, don't, just don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs>